Good morning, congregation. Today's scripture reading uh, can be found uh, on uh, page uh, 1205 in your Black Pew Bibles. Let us stand for the reading of the word. Today we'll be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, because you have given us, Lord, the most precious thing, Lord, which is life. You have given us a life that is truly lived by the worship and the honor and the glory of your name. To glorify you, Lord, is our chief end. It is the thing that we desire to do all the more because of what you have done for us. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we now, with our hearts, Lord, that you have given us, are enabled to truly praise and to truly worship you and to truly know who you are. Lord, it is a light that you have given us, that you have instructed us and charged us to be a light unto this world. And so let us be mindful, Lord, as the scripture reads today, that we are called to devote and to give our entire selves, our entire bodies, our being, Lord, to the glory of your name, to honor you, to praise you, and to worship you. Let us practice that in the hearing of your word preached today as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the message, Lord. Let us uh, understand that your living word, your living word that is so powerful, is a word that has something for us today, has something for us to understand, something for us to know, a direction for us to charge and to walk toward so that we may grow in godliness, that we might grow into the conformity of your son. Let us be zealous, Lord, to hear this word. Let us have our minds focused. Let us have our hearts desiring every word from your servant today as Pastor Chris prepares to preach. May we take this word, Lord, not put it to the ground, but place it in our hearts and desire all the more to worship and honor you as a result of hearing it. We thank you, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do want to encourage you to uh, join us Thursday night at uh, 7 o'clock. <clears throat> we will have a traditional uh, candlelight carol sing a cappella. Um, and uh, so we ask you to, to join us. There will be other things besides the uh, carol sing, but uh, join us for that. Um, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, Christmas Eve. <clears throat> Years ago, to prove the point that no one misses Jesus at Christmas, I took the baby Jesus out of the manger scene and put it away. Now, you may not miss this baby. It's only about an inch and a half or two inches long. But the one we had before was a full-sized baby Jesus. And nobody noticed that it was gone except my wife, who waters the poinsettias. Uh, so, you know, the whole Advent season, that baby was missing, and, uh, and nobody missed Jesus. With all the craziness that surrounds the celebration of Christmas, we often manage to lose whose birthday it is that we're celebrating the song, What Child Is This?, calls us back to reflect on the babe in the manger who is the Christ, the King, Christ, the Lord, Christ, 
the one that God has sent and given to us. But there is a greater danger than leaving Jesus out of a manger scene. Forgetting whose birthday we celebrate signals that there is a deeper problem for us. I'm not talking about the secular world. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about us who are part of the body of Christ, those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. If we can become so distracted during the celebration of the birth of Jesus, then what happens during the rest of the year when the focus isn't on Christ? You may have come today to hear a message of Christmas, a message about shepherds or wise men, uh, Mary and Joseph, or the Word made flesh. But today, I pray that you will hear a clearer Christmas message, a life-transforming, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting truth that is the real Christmas story. For in these two verses that we just read, we will see what is the theme of this message today God has provided in Christ Jesus all you need. All we need, all we have is Christ, we sang a few moments ago. You don't need an all-in-one silicone mat as advertised. You don't need a WeatherTech cup holder that will fit all different sizes. You don't need a Mulan warrior bow. What you need this Christmas is Christ. Does that sound trite? And of course, we need Christ at Christmas. I would say that Paul doesn't think so, not in this passage that we're looking at today. Paul's message for us today drives home the fact that all we need is Christ. Notice in our text, as he reminds us of the foundation of Christ followers. The foundation that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, must have. You see, Christmas means nothing without Christ. But life means nothing without Christ. Christmas means nothing if all it is for us is just another religious holiday. Just another time to get out of school or to get out of work for a day or a week. Only when you know the wonder of what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ will Christmas happen for you every day, not just once a year. And that's why Paul begins this new section of Romans, leaving the theological section, moving into the practical life section with verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I want you to listen as we trace our way through what Paul is saying in these two verses. And we're going to begin by considering the meaning of the beginning. The beginning of what Paul wants us to understand that's found in that word, therefore. You see, the word therefore always sends us backwards. It sends us back to what has already been said. And in one sense, we're talking about the full 11 verses or chapters from chapter 1 through chapter 11. But, but I want us to go back even further, in a sense, all the way back to the very beginning of this book. Back to verse 1, where Paul says, I, uh, Paul, a servant or slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, a servant, a Christ follower. In Romans, Paul has told us the why, the how, and the what of becoming and being a Christian. That's what those first 11 chapters were all about. How do you become a Christian? 
What does it mean to be a Christian? Why should we want to be a Christian? And he challenged every believer to know what it means to be then a Christ follower, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And now he comes back to that with full force in our text this morning. You see, as a Christ follower, as one who, who is committed to Jesus Christ, Paul has a core foundation for his way of living, for what he calls us to live, and we find that in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, the very theme statement for this whole book of Romans. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Just what Sean and Amy and Jeremiah just shared with us about the importance of faith in the Christmas story. So whether you were a Jew that was born in Judea, or a Greek from Greece, or a Roman from Italy, no matter where you were from, Paul is telling the people of his day to believe the gospel because the gospel transforms lives. It is the power of God's righteousness in Jesus Christ that brings about a transformation in the way that people think, act, and live. And so from chapter 1, through chapter 11, that was Paul's message. Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, all have the same opportunity to know and experience the life of Christ that they might glorify God and be loved by Him. But how is that possible? Well, consider then that he says it is possible by the mercies, by the mercies of God. You know, Dr. Phil, he might give temporary relief to some counselee who, who needs a, a little bit of wisdom for a moment of time, but he misses the main root of the problem. The root of the problem that that person is experiencing is sin. Dr. Fauci, he, he might give some information about COVID-19. Whether you can trust it or not is another question, but it can give you the information about that. But no matter who it is, there is no one who has come up with a cure for the, the derangement of the human heart. And that's why Paul summed all of chapter 1 through 11 in the closing verse of his discussion of the theology. In chapter 11, verse 32, he says, For God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. The mercy of God. All consigned to disobedience. That is, God has said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have failed to know God. All have turned their back on Him. There is none that seeks for God. God has consigned all to disobedience in order that He might have mercy on all who will trust in Jesus Christ. Our culture might tell you that you have the potential to do anything that you want to in life. You are a good person, and you have the potential to be good and go wherever you want. But God's Word says that's a lie. Instead, we need the mercies of God. John MacArthur, in a sermon that he preached on this passage, went through and listed all the mercies that that Paul had shown us, that God had given to us through those 11 chapters. There's over 15 of them that he lists out that you find in those first 11 chapters of Romans. 
the mercies of God. They take us back to the cross. They take us to Calvary. They take us to Christ. To Jesus Christ. But it takes us farther back than even these 11 chapters. It takes us back to the hills of Bethlehem. As an angel promised a Savior who would be Christ the Lord. And even farther back than that, all the way back to the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis. And there in Genesis, God promised a child who would crush the serpent's head, crush the power of sin over us. We need to learn that we cannot save ourselves, that we are not good, so that we will look for a divine Savior. That's what the book of Romans is all about. So that the undeserved mercy of God might be bestowed upon us by the mercies of God. You cannot live out the Christian faith unless you first understand that all you have is a mercy that God has given to you. That everything in this life flows out of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Every blessing that we receive flows from the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so we look for a divine Savior whose undeserved mercy will forgive our sin, will give us a fresh start, and will produce in us a new life that is the blessings of God. So I want you to notice, I want you to notice how these mercies become ours through the faith call of Christ followers. What is Christmas to you? Now we could sit and we could discuss those different things, but let me tell you what Christmas is to me. For me, it is what we read in Philippians when it tells us there that the eternal Son of God emptied Himself to become a human being. It is what John says, that God sent His Son so that all who believe in that Son can have eternal life. It is saying with Jesus as He cries out, not my will, but yours. It is the call of God that springs springs forth bringing life to every believer, even as it did as Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. See, Christmas is the promise of the new birth. Christmas is the forgiveness of sins. Christmas is the return to the Garden of Eden with all of its bounty. That is what Christmas is. Christmas is verse 1 of our text. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies that God gave as He sent His Son into this world, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, Paul is writing out of a heart, out of a passion, out of a love for God, And he calls all Christians to give themselves, to surrender themselves, to become a slave of God in response to what God has done when He has given to us the greatest gift of all, His Son, Jesus Christ. And so I want you to consider with me this morning the meaning of beseech. You see, in a devotional this week, I told why I prefer the King James versions. I beseech you, brothers, rather than the ESV version, I appeal to you, brothers. You see, appeal, it can have a sense of desperation to it, but but appeal just doesn't seem to have power to it. But I beseech you. Just the word itself is one of those words that that gets a hold of you. It grabs you. I beseech you. You can tell that the, the person that is saying that is trying to get across to you the emotion, the the passion, the the love, the power of that word. I beseech you is much more emphatic than I appeal to you. 
In 2 Corinthians 6.1, the Apostle Paul wrote, working together with him, that's Jesus Christ that he's talking about, that's who the him is, working together with Jesus Christ then, we appeal to you, it's the same word here, we beseech you not to receive the grace of God in vain. This is Paul beseeching. It is Paul pleading. It is Paul begging them based on what Jesus Christ has accomplished in God sending him to us. Based upon that, don't waste his glorious work. You see, that first verse of 2 Corinthians 6 follows immediately upon the end of chapter 5, right? Here is what Chapter 5 says at the end, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be, re- <coughs> excuse me, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, working together with Jesus Christ, this one who has taken our sin upon himself and given us his righteousness in his place, we appeal to you, don't waste that. There's a strong word in verse 20 of chapter 5. It is the word implore. God took all our sins. He placed them upon His Son, Jesus Christ. He poured out His wrath on His Son so that our sins could be removed, so that it could be replaced with a perfect record of His Son. God did that on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God I implore you then, live for the glory of God. Let what God did in Christ become the reality of your life. For heaven's sake, don't waste the mercies of God. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, I implore you, I beg you, I plead with you. By those mercies that God has poured out through His Son, don't waste them. I beseech you, brothers. So let's consider the meaning of that word, brothers. You see, what Paul has to say in the next five chapters is not for those who are not Christians. He is going to tell you how to live out the Christian life, how to to let it be manifested, how to be a Christ follower, a servant of God. But what he has to say will make no sense to those who don't have Christ within He is addressing his audience as brothers. But brothers of whom? Now, if you have been doing your memory work, your mind should automatically go to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that, in order that what? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I beseech you, brothers, of Jesus Christ. If you ever wanted to say, oh my God, this would be the time to say it. Oh my God, who is my father because of my brother. I have become his heir. I am included into his family. I have been adopted as son of God because of my brother, Jesus Christ. 
I beseech you, who have become brothers through the mercies of God that have come to you through His Son, Jesus Christ, this one through whom God predestined you. And having predestined you, He called you. And having called you, He justified you. And having justified you, He glorified you. That's the brother that I'm talking about. If you've not experienced that glory of being a brother of Jesus Christ, of being a child of God, then I would encourage you not to read any further in the book of Romans. Because it's not going to make any sense to you. I would encourage you to go back and start in chapter 1 again. And read through Romans 1 through 11 to find out what we're talking about when we're talking about these mercies of God. You need to hear once again about your need for a Savior about God's provision of that salvation through Jesus Christ, about how faith in Christ's sacrifice and in His resurrection would give you new life, turning you away from being a rebel of God to being an adopted child of God. You need to hear that once again so that you can experience the mercies of God as adopted children of God by the power of the Holy Spirit of God before the next chapters are going to make any sense to you. But if you are one of those brothers, that Jesus Christ is your brother, then consider the meaning of bodies. This book is about to get personal. Many people think that being Christian means believing that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That Jesus worked miracles, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead. And all of those things are absolutely true. But the devils believe those and they're not saved. Being a Christian is not just Jesus and me. Well, my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. Isn't that glorious? Paul used the words here, bodies. In the earlier chapters in Romans, Paul has focused on our understanding of the truth, of our understanding of of who God is, helping us to, to think through the theological importance of that, working on the heart, working on faith within us. He wrote back in chapter 1, verse 3, that part of the gospel is believing that Jesus was born in Bethlehem as a descendant of King David. He taught that Jesus died in your place and mine on the cross because we were desperately wicked in God's eyes. He declared the importance of knowing that Jesus rose from the dead and that by faith in Him we can be raised from the dead too. All of that is working on our mind, on our heart. But now, he uses the word bodies. Paul wants us to know that faith results in action in a transformation of how we live. Present your bodies means what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your bodies. And that is what these next five chapters are going to be talking about. Making the truth that he spoke in the first 11 chapters real so that it works out in how you live. That is what Christmas is all about. Jesus Christ paying the ultimate sacrifice so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have a right relationship with God, so that you could know that you're going to heaven, so that you could live heaven on earth now. Glorify God in your bodies. But that's not easy, is it? So consider the meaning of burden. Oh, I know the word burden is not in our text. But what he says is truly a burden. If if you want to, to know what it means to live out a Christian life, look at those final words in That first verse. Now, 
I'm going to show you two ways that this can be translated. Right? The ESV says, which is your spiritual worship? The King James Version says, which is your reasonable service. Now, those two things seem like, you know, that, that's quite a bit different. What, what, why is there this difference? Which is your spiritual worship or which is your reasonable service? And you, you look at that and you say, wait a minute. Why do we have these different things? They're actually translating the same two words. It's not like there was a difference in the manuscripts or something like that. They're, they're translating the same two Greek words, and yet they're translating them quite differently. You see, the word translated in the ESV as spiritual, and in the King James Version as reasonable, is the word from which we get our English word, logical. So is the King James right here? Uh, reasonable, logical, that seems to, to kind of go together. Paul is saying that it is logical. It is logical for us who having understood the mercies of God, that we are brothers of Jesus Christ, having understood that, that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. That's logical. It's reasonable that we would live that way, that we would think that way, that we would act that way. But the word carries with it the idea that this logic is a spiritual logic. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says that the natural mind cannot comprehend the things that are of the Spirit. And so Paul is not saying here, just think through this stuff logically. He's saying, think through this stuff spiritually. Think of, of this from a spiritual perspective. Our logic is not a human logic. Our logic is the logic of the Holy Spirit. A spiritual logic. So this is, this is us presenting our bodies because we are spiritually guided towards this by the Holy Spirit. In a spiritually logical way. Well, the same thing happens with the next word. Does it mean worship, or does it mean service? Yes. It means worship, and it means service. You see, the word itself, if you were going back and reading just regular Greek, you know, secular Greek, it would mean uh, that you would approach this as service, that, that the word means to serve or to, to carry out service for someone. But the New Testament writers confiscated that word. And throughout the New Testament, the word service that's here is the word for worship. All the way through the New Testament, well, at least from, from the, book, the, the epistles and the epistles, you don't have the word worship, you have the word service. We Worship God through serving God. Reasonable service, spiritual worship. Spiritually reasonable worship in serving. That's what this is all about. Paul calls you to be spiritually reasonable to worship God by serving God with your whole body. And that, I would suggest to you, is Christmas. Isn't it what Mary said when the angel came to her and told her she was going to have a child? What did Mary say? She said, let it be unto me. I am a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant. The shepherds, upon hearing the message 
of, of the glory of God and that a, a child had been born, they didn't just sit there and go, whoopee, isn't this great? What did they do? They said, let us go to Bethlehem. Let our, let our bodies move. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Let us go and experience it. It is what brought the Magi to follow that star who asked, where is He who has been born King of the Jews? We have come this distance, this way. We have come for one purpose, to worship Him. That is Christmas. And it is how every Christ follower responds when they consider what God has done and the mercies of God, what He has done for us through Jesus Christ. As Francis Schaeffer put it so succinctly, how then shall we live? If this is true, if these first 11 chapters of Romans are the reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ, if this is true, how then shall we live? By presenting our bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual, reasonable act of worship in service. How shall we live? Paul's answer is in verse 2. There he develops the forming of Christ followers. What is God doing to transform us and change us? And I suggest that those of you who want to live with your foot half in Christ and half in the world, you better listen to what he says here in this verse do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is a very short how-to manual on presenting your bodies as a, as a sacrifice, living, holy, and acceptable to God. So, as a Christ follower, I want you to consider the meaning of breaking free. Breaking free from the mindset and the thoughts of the world around you. Do not be conformed to this world. <clears throat> the eternal Son of God surrendered heaven to enter into this world for our sake, that we might be saved. He came to us. The Bible calls that the emptying of Himself. And if He has done that for us, He calls us to do the same for Him. To empty ourselves of this world. We need to break free from the worldly thinking. From the ways that the world control what you think and what you believe. Because that is what drives how you act. You need to empty yourself, is what Paul is saying here, of all that you cling to. Even as the Son of God emptied Himself and did not cling to, did not hold on to the things of heaven so that He might become our Savior. And if we are to be a Christ follower, we need to let go of our world and the things that hold us in this world and let go of those things so that we might live for Him. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. You cannot be conformed to this world and at the same time become what we just talked about back in Romans 8.29. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You cannot be conformed to both of them at the same time. It's impossible. You cannot love Christ and Belial, the scripture says. You cannot love Christmas and Halloween. You cannot look like Satan and Jesus at the same time. But only Jesus Christ has the power to break you free from that mindset of this world, from the philosophies of this age that causes you then, through his power, to be able to live eternally now. And that comes as you're transformed. 
You know, there are two different words that are translated as conform. The, the conform in Romans 12, 2, and the conform in Romans 8, 29, are actually two different words. They have two different meanings there. <clears throat> the conform here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, means to join with the schemes, the philosophies, the worldview of the aeon, the, the age, the, this, this, this time period. We, we could say worldview or culture that we live in today. Whatever news you watch molds your mind. The movies and the games and the education and the politics all of those are the schematics that form how you think and what you believe. Do not be conformed then to that schematic of the mind of the world. But the word translated in Romans 8.29 that says be conformed to Jesus Christ, that means to take on the form to take on the form, to take on the shape, to be conformed to the, what? Image of Jesus Christ. It's not just the mindset. It's not just the way you think. It is the whole of your being. You are now being shaped. You are now being molded to reflect who Jesus Christ is in how you think and how you live. We are to become Christians, Christ followers. When a person sees you, they should be seeing Jesus Christ. They should be seeing Jesus Christ not only in what you say and how you say it and, and as you're talking to them about your religion or your faith, but they should be seeing Christ in you in everything that you do. No matter where you are, in the grocery store, driving a car, in a classroom, talking to your parents or talking to your kids. Conformed, shaped to the image so we are not to have the schematics of the world. We're not to have the mindset of the world. But we are to be formed in the image of Jesus Christ. Which takes in the first 11 chapters of Romans, but also takes in the last five chapters of Romans. What we believe, what we think, and what we do, how we live. Do not be conformed to the mindset of the world, but become shaped like Jesus Christ. Transformed to look like Him, which means that we should consider the meaning of be transformed. There's a change that has to occur in you of what you love before you'll change what you do. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3, he said, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see how consistent Paul is in all of his writings? He, he, he words things the same way. He doesn't say, just think like Jesus. He says, be Jesus. Be a Christ follower. Be a Christian as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Did you catch then how you are to be transformed? Did you see what he says is the way that you are transformed? By beholding the glory of the Lord. Go to the Mount of Transfiguration. As Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, his meditation, his, his, his thoughts are on the glory of God, on the, the will of God, on the purpose of God. Elijah and Moses 
come to speak with Jesus about his exodus. What is that? The, the exodus of Jesus is his death on the cross. They come to speak to him about his exodus from this world, about his dying. Right? And what does the scripture tell us takes place as that is occurring? He, his outward demeanor is changing. The, the, the shining glory, his clothes become pure white. He's, he's reflecting this, this powerful glory of God in him. Why? Because he has entered into the presence of God. He is beholding the glory of his, his father as he's speaking to Moses and Elijah. And that's why the father follows that up by saying, this is my beloved son. He's reflecting my character. He's reflecting my glory in the midst of this world. But you say, yeah, well, that is Jesus. Jesus was the Son of God. Of course, he's going to shine like that. Oh, yeah? Well, what about a guy named Moses? Moses climbs up onto Mount Sinai. He meets with God for 40 days on Mount Sinai. He is beholding the glory of God, even if it is the tail end of the meteor as it passes through. He's, he's beholding the glory of God, and he comes off the mountain, and what's he look like? He is transformed. He is shining with the glory of God. The closer you come to God in his word, in his understanding of Romans chapter 1 through 11, the more you comprehend those truths, the more the glory of God is going to shine out from you. And the world cannot help but see that difference. Be transformed. How? Through the Word. Because it is in the Word that we see Christ, that we are drawn to Christ. It is in the Word that we see God's glory. And a metamorphosis takes place. That's what that, that word is. A metamorphosis, a, a change, a transformation that takes place in us as we behold the glory of Christ. And the longer you look into Him, the longer that you spend time with Him, the more that you behold His glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth, the more you will reflect that glory. But you need a renewed mind for that to happen. So consider the meaning of the words by renewal. You will never renew your mind if you are filling it with the schemes of this age. If you're filling your mind with the, the patterns and the thoughts of this world day after day, you will never be renewed. I want you to think about something. Why do you think that the sons and daughters of Christians who go through the public school system and go to non-Christian colleges, why do you think that they turn away from Christ? In huge amounts. We've given them over to the world and said, hey, what the world is going to teach you, that is what's going to, you know, that's going to be what you need for the rest of your life. So when they are teaching you that you don't need God, that the things of, of life are to, to be, uh, you know, the homosexual, you know, world around you and, and all those kind of things, and they're telling you that that's the way that you should think and that's the way you should live, well, why would they ever believe the Bible? We're feeding them garbage and expecting them to come out holy? No, it's impossible. By renewal of your mind, by the change and the transformation, you think... 45 minutes of me standing up here talking to you and your kids, that that's going to change them? No. It will not change them. In 45 minutes, I cannot undo what's been done over the past six days. The entertainment that we allow them to, to do, the music that they listen to, and the teachings that they're getting in all those other areas, how in the world can that be undone in 45 minutes on a Sunday morning when they'd rather be sleeping anyway? 
Paul wrote in Ephesians 4. He says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. A new mind is what will result in a new self. A person conformed to the image of God's Son comes about as a transformation occurs when the mind is changed. And when he's talking about mind, he's not just talking about something that you know. He is talking about something that you believe. He's really talking about the whole of your being. He's talking about your heart, your will. He's talking about all of that being driven by how you think and how you perceive the world around you. Read books on biblical doctrines. Immerse yourself in the Scriptures. Listen to good sermons and teachings throughout the week. Come to Sunday school and be taught. Join the prayer lines. And only then will you present yourself as a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. But notice that Paul concludes this transitional passage by describing the fruit of the Christ followers. How do you know whether a person is a true follower of Jesus Christ? That was actually asked in, uh, in the Sunday school um, mentoring class that I was doing this morning. How do you know? It says, you know? The scripture says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. How do you know if you are in the faith? All right. how, how do we know that? How do we know it? We see it in the fruit of the Christ follower. When your life is conformed to the will of God, that will show that you are a true Christian. Verse 2 puts it this way, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I want you to follow Paul's reasoning. I'm going to paraphrase these two verses. So I want you to follow what Paul is is doing for us. He's transitioning us. He's changing us from this doctrinal teaching to how you're supposed to live out the Christian life. And he's basically saying you cannot live out this Christian life that I'm going to tell you in these next five chapters. You cannot do that if verses 1 and 2 are not real to you. The practical living out of Christ cannot happen unless this is true. So listen to this paraphrase. Brothers, fellow Christ followers, since God has poured out on you abundantly His mercies in so many areas of your life, then renew your minds so that you are not conformed to the culture around you. If you do so, you will join in Christ's sacrificial mindset by presenting your bodies to serve in a way that is holy and acceptable to God because you will know what is God's good, acceptable, and perfect or complete will. To know His will, consider the meaning of by testing to discern. By testing to discern, he says, right? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. How do you know the will of God? Well, the testing to discern the will of God. You know, a lot of money has gone into covid studies for this vaccine that is, is, is coming out. A lot of testing is taking place, and much more is occurring even as we speak. The labs do this testing to make sure that the vaccine is safe and that it is effective for everyone. What is the lab where we test what God's will is? Where is this lab that is going to help us to know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Where is that lab? I tell you, that lab is the Bible. The better you know the Bible, the better you will know God's will. It's that simple. Do you want to be inoculated against sin? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Jesus faces off against the temptations that Satan places before him. And what does Jesus do? Does he enter into a philosophical discussion? Does he go into the theologies of, of, of you know, God's character and nature? No, he goes to the Scripture and he quotes the Scripture. Paul warns the Thessalonians who were all brand new Christians. And he says to them, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the book of Acts, you will know that Paul goes to Thessalonica. He gets chased out of Thessalonica by Jews that rioted against him. And the next place he goes is to Berea. And for those who have read the book of Acts, you know the famous statement that we find in his visit to the Bereans, it says, and the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching was true. So Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, be like the Bereans. Get into the Word. Study the Word. Don't despise prophecies. When he's talking about prophecies here, he's not talking about what we talk about prophecies. Oh, I believe that tomorrow there's going to be a thunderstorm that's going to come. When he's talking about prophecies, he's talking about the Scriptures. That's, that's what the Jews called the Old Testament. The Scriptures, they called them the prophecies of God. And so he says, do not despise the prophecies, do not despise the Scriptures that God has given to you, but use them to test and hold fast to what is good. You want to know the will of God? Read the Scriptures. Study the Word. Immerse yourself in the Bible. And what does the Bible teach us? It teaches the meaning of the beauty of God. The beauty of God. You see, the message of the Bible from start to finish is about God's glory. The beauty of God in all of his glory. Everything in this world will turn your thoughts away from God and his glory. Everything will cause you to, to be conformed to a, a, a mindset that says, eh, we don't need God. We can accomplish things on our own. But everything in the Bible, it'll drive your thoughts to God, to his glory, to his beauty, and when you test the schemes of the world against the Word of God, you will know God's will. As verse 2 ends, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I would suggest to you that that's the meaning of Christmas. That is what Christmas is about. And why do I say that? Because Jesus himself declared that. According to the writer of Hebrews, as Jesus quoted from the Old Testament, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That is the practical truth of Christmas. Oh, forget the tinsel and forget the presents and all the family gatherings. Christmas is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ whose reason for coming into the world was that He might do the will of His Father. And if you are going to be His brother, then that has to be what your mindset is. God, I want to do Your will. And how are you going to do that? By presenting your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing unto God. And how do you do that? By the study of His Word as your mind is transformed and renewed through the study of the Scriptures and through the, the, the fellowship of the saints as you are taught and instructed in the Word so that you would know His will. So you reflect the glory of God's Son, your brother. And so, in closing, I have one little question for you, and that's it. How practical is Christmas to you? Is Christ real? Real enough for you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Father in heaven, 
take these truths from your word. Break our hearts. Fill us with you, your presence. Draw us into your word. And let Christmas become real in how we live, how we think. For your glory, for your praise, we ask it in the name of our brother, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us.